Okay. Hello, and welcome to Stasis Pod, the Beast Wars podcast. I'm Rob. I'm Jen. I'm Alex. And I'm David. And today, we are pulling the trigger on episode 16, The Trigger, part one. Yes! I'm excited by all the episodes. Well, oh, it, it's a part one, so we know, you know, we haven't had a two-parter since the pilot. And that one was huge, yeah. so this yeah. obviously has to be a story of similar import. And this one is, uh, as another sign that it is a story of similar import, this one is by Bob Forward, one of the two right. story editors for the show. Mm-hmm. So we open, we're in the Arctic, and there's a cloud passing by a mountain, but there's something in the cloud that's knocking stuff off the mountain. Tigatron has fortunately got, gotten back to the Arctic since the last episode. Yes, and they've set him up with a cool satellite phone thing. Oh, it yes. is huge. It's, it's also, yeah, it's... the cloud does not look great. It's not a great-looking cloud. <laughs> the cloud's no. not great-looking. The mountain's pretty. textures are too small, so it looks like it's a miniature mountain. This is an episode that I, five, ten, five or ten years in the future would look amazing. Yeah, but th- there are some things that work in it, because it, at first it's, like, silent, and you just see snow... And a little bit of a storm, and it's kind of moody at the beginning, but... Yeah, yeah. I do like that intro. The visual limitations start to set in. They were ambitious, and their ambition was not rewarded. Yeah. but And then they also had sight gags of snowballs falling on Tigatron's head. Yeah, he has a concussion now, right? Well, he's a robot. He he doesn't have, like, a a brain in there, so... He he has a sight concussion. It's like if you accidentally drop your phone. Maybe my phone gets a concussion. Oh yeah, but you don't know. Also, Megatron's making his weekly report. Yes, yes. I we- guess he just checks in every week. You know, it's not like how you have to call your parents every week. You know, <laughs> how you doing? You, you know, what about yeah, that nice girl you date? Maybe I don't know. But yeah, I guess they have weeks as well as cycles. Yeah, but that satellite yeah. dish is so big. How did it's they so get it there? Did they so build it on site? Maybe Axelon. I, you know, every time he's back at the Axelon, he brought some parts. I, I, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, they, maybe. The last time they they sent him instructions and an Allen key. I mean, <laughs> I mean clearly they're within walking distance of the Arctic, so yeah. I'm just going to call it the Arctic. <laughs> yes. Because, yeah. yeah, it's obviously meant to be the Arctic, so... Maybe since since it's within walking distance, maybe Rhinox would just haul some parts over there, and he just made a couple runs, and there you go. My head cannon now is Rhinox built the entire thing, didn't have an idea for where to use it. Tigatron was like, "That would be super useful for me," and Rhinox was like, "Oh God, how are we going to get it all the way out there?" And then there's just like a two-hour thing wasn't shown of just Rhinox balancing it on his back with like Cheetor, Tigatron, and Rat Trap all around him with ropes to keep it from toppling <laughs> over. Aw, so good. So he, uh, like he yeah, calls into the maximum base. Unfortunately, he gets Rat Trap, who... Rat Trap doesn't get a whole lot to do in this episode, except for kind of bitching at Dinobot. 
Yeah. There's a lot of that. He and Dinobot are obviously like they're they're going at each other. They got some. They didn't have any lines in the script, and Scott McNeil just decided to improv with himself in the background. And they decided to keep it. I do love that Rattrap calls the Axelon good guy central. Yes, it's pretty adorable. What I don't love are the footprints in the shots of Tigatron talking to them from a distance that don't actually match up with Tigatron's feet. No. <laughs> well, they're his cat feet, kind of. They're his cat feet, but then he's walking on the snow with his robot feet, and there's no imprint. <laughs> well, yeah. You can only do so much. Snow is hard to do. It is, and they tried so hard, and it didn't work. Yeah. And unfortunately, the Predacons have been relying on uh, Tigatron's punctuality uh, because they choose this time to attack in the form of Waspmater and Pterosaur. Oh, but but before that, uh, Rhinox was studying the moons? Oh, right. Yes, he's studying the moons, and it's hollow. One of them. One of the, one moons, of the moons is hollow? hollow. Well, no, he says one of the moons it. is lighter than it should be for its size, so maybe it's hollow? Question. As if it were hollow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is, yeah, hey, meta plot. <laughs> yep. You see Bob Forward's name at the beginning? You know, there's a pretty good chance we're going to have some meta plot today. <laughs> you know, we have been, uh, you know, we're getting close. You know, we're, we're halfway through the season. We're getting close to that big season finale. Got to set some stuff up for it. Yeah. And it does so in an impressive way. You know, and you, you'd have to sort of be paying attention to see that coming, but... Eventually, this would sort of all add up. Mm-hmm. Yep. Especially since we are going to be finding more about the uh, eventual plot of the uh, season finale in this two-parter. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they so yeah the Predacons attack. Pterosaur fires what appears to be a bullet bill at. Uh... <laughs> well, it's, it's it's a rather classic thing of like painting a, a plane or a missile with something on it. He painted a little shark face on one of his missiles. Mm-hmm. Was it just one, or were there multiple? He only just the one has the, the shark face on it. He shoots the one, okay. and it flies. It doesn't hit Tigatron. It lands in the snow, and it's a dud. It does not go off. I thought but, they knocked over the thing first, cutting off the transmission. Uh, maybe? I don't remember. Right. The little and bit. that is the thing that ticks me off, because it cuts off the transmission, and it goes to static. It's an optical sound <laughs> device. That doesn't go to static. That just goes to silence. Yeah, that's sending a direct I signal. I checked. That's kind of weird. That is kind of weird. The, 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 the satellite falls over on a Tigatron. And, With a uh, frame rate, he, no, and yeah. a big explosion. Oh, yeah, that, that thing takes forever to fall off. <laughs> yeah, it takes, like, it, it goes through the entire commercial break, doesn't it? Yeah, there's a commercial break there, at which point Tigatron just heaves it off of himself as if it's no big deal. Yeah, and, and he leaves behind a snow tiger underneath it. But, uh, and, and again, you know, nice it's... once he's up and standing in it and shooting at people, it's clearly not dimensional. And you yeah. know, if maybe Pterosaur and Waspinator should have considered not attacking Tigatron during the one time <laughs> in the entire week that he is in direct communication with the Maximal Base. Yeah. <laughs> maybe... They should have been like, huh, you know, he's standing at something looks kind of like a communications array. And anyone who's not a complete idiot, now I'm saying that because they are idiots, 
anyone who's not a complete idiot can see that it's got a satellite dish on it. So it's probably some sort of communications array. So maybe they might want to let him talk, finish talking to whoever he's talking to, hang up the phone, and then attack him. And then no one will even come check on him for a week. Yeah. I think their plan only got as far as he comes here often so we could ambush him. Yeah, I mean, there's that. But yeah, if they had half a brain between them, they would have waited for him to finish his call. <laughs> Bad timing, guys. Bad timing. Yeah. Also, I, the the dud missile was very impressive. It, it was that yeah, was it the one good-looking sequence too. Fizzles out, and it only goes off because Waspinator's shooting wildly and happens to hit it. It doesn't and, just fizzle out. It takes a moment to fizzle out, and it sputters a bit, and then one of the little tail fins on it, like, swings a bit and then falls off. <laughs> it is a comical so dud missile. It's kind yes. of the same gag they used in uh, Iron Man 2. Yeah. Uh, it's a bit of that. And then Waspinator's shots hitting the snow actually does look good. That's the one snow effect they tried in this episode that worked. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and that's sort of a pattern of this episode, that it's just, uh, it's a little too ambitious. Yeah, yeah visually, like, very much so. Like, in, in the last episode I mentioned, compositing with, with the, like, the perspective thing, this episode they have composited in s- explosions and fire. Yes. Like, it's actual, like, firework explosions that they overlay on the CG uh, stuff. I, I assume they either got these from stock, or they had a real fun time in the uh, parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> I'd assume the former, but the latter sounds more. I'd assume the latter, because those stock things are expensive. Yeah, that stock stuff can be a pain to license. Yeah, or, well, there are enough Canadian productions up there. They might have gotten it from somebody else. Hey, they're, they're filming an episode of uh, Highlander uh, across the way. We're going to uh, just film their explosions. Now, yeah. Well, well, I was thinking Mantis, but sure. <laughs> or Mantis. Did they film Mantis in Vancouver? I'm pretty sure. I mean, it makes sense. They filmed, like, every syndicated action TV show in Vancouver. I'm I'm not 100% positive, but I think so. I love that Highlander fans refer to the city where it takes place in as (laughs) (laughs) Seacouver. So, uh, at the end of this battle, Tigatron ends up taking a header off a cliff into that uh, weird cloud, and he totally disappears. The (gasps) Predacons have actually learned a trick from previous episodes, because they actually checked to see if they could find his body. Yeah, Waspinator's really excited about collecting his head. Yeah, that that is gross, Waspinator. Waspinator collects heads? Yeah. Well, he has a couple spares of his own. Maybe he's thinking he can turn... Oh, yeah, you can always use a spare. (laughs) Although, I'm also wondering which head he was talking about. Did he want his robot head, or did he want the tiger head hanging in the corner of his quarters? Well, I guess that that way they they can each have one. Yeah. yeah, they didn't need to bicker over it. Yeah. But, uh, of course, that cloud's no cloud. <gasps> and I do like that it's uh, Terrasaur who picks up on this, because he is the expert when it comes to flying clouds. <laughs> and well, flying, flying mountains, rather. Yeah. Yes. Well, he's he knows that's the thing that happens here sometimes, you know? Everybody else hasn't still quite gotten it through their heads, but he's seen that stuff, yeah. man. And, and then from the outside of the cloud, we hear them screaming, and there's explosions and stuff. And, and it, it boils down to Waspinator and Pterosaur get beaten up by a cloud. Is how it looks. Well, yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's you know, it's 
mysterious. There's something going on in that cloud, and we will find out what it is later. Yes. But in the meantime, Prime finally got there and says we have to face the grim possibility that Tigatron may have been destroyed. Yep. <laughs> also, one more critique of that whole Arctic sequence. Everyone's oddly dark, and that's not how snow works. No. Yeah, I mean, I suppose the idea is to give it sort of a stormy look, because you think if there's a lot of snow, there's going to be clouds precipitating that snow, but no, the clouds precipitate the snow, and then they go away. Yeah. (laughs) But I guess that's no ordinary cloud. (gasps) Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. (laughs) So, yeah, they, they go in there, they... They they managed to head back to the Predacon base, but they are super messed up. Yes. And they're spied upon by Airazor, who just happens to be sitting on the tree that's outside the Predacon base. The the withered tree that's in almost every shot. Yeah. And we're introduced to their base, their establishing shot. And Airazor seems to have been spending time around Rat Trap because she immediately makes an entirely inappropriate nineties Earth reference. Oh yes. <laughs> The grunge look is coming back. <laughs> it's like Aries or you were just born. All her one-liners in this episode seem like they were written before they decided who was going to be cast and what her voice sounded like. Because they just don't work. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, the, uh, the Predacons, uh, you know, they relate their story to Megatron, and oh. yeah, it was, it's a big flying island. Yeah, well, they say monument. Or, yes, a monument. Yeah. And they're beaten up and, and just sort of babbling and explaining. Oh, the, we, we tried to shoot him and, and then we got blowed up and, and now we're in horrible shape. And then at the end of it, Pterosaur just faints and falls on top of Waspinator. <laughs> had a bad day. Yeah. yeah. He has bad luck with flying mountains. And yeah, this is uh, around this time we sort of get our first. We cut back to Tigatron. He is on this flying island and it looked. Uh, I don't know how best to describe this. It looks like a really early video game, a 3D video game. Yeah, like it kind of looks like uh, like Mist, I guess. Yeah. yeah, the the lighting is we- well because it's inside the big gray cloud, but inside the cloud you have a purpley bluish sky. It's- yeah, and it's this verdant. It's it's very impressive that it's managed to maintain this great green verdant look to it when it's floating through the Arctic. Mm-hmm. Tigatron so, calls it a tropical ecosystem, but it really looks more It temperate. looks like it yeah. looks like you log into vanilla World of Warcraft around two thousand five with all the graphics turned down and you're in L1 Forest and it's sure. like there's some ground texture and there are a few trees oh, and it's like EverQuest. It's not great. No, it, not really. It, it's, they wanted to do a lot, but couldn't. But it's the style of it is kind of different from the rest of the environments and the rest of the show. It's I think the biggest the symbol problem, on the monument in the middle is weird too. I think the biggest problem may the be Illuminati. <laughs> normally, when we see these great environmental flyover shots, they're flyover shots. And here you're getting a lot of static shots, and it really lets you see how not great the CG is at this point. I mean, I'm sure it's great 
before 1996, but... Yes. It's remarkably sparse is one of the big problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's... you have a few trees that are all probably just duplicates of the same model. At least several of them are duplicates of the yeah. same tree model. You've got just textured ground in this, you know, bitmap. You have bitmapped ground, and it's just all kind of flat, and it just doesn't... It doesn't look great. No. The most yeah. interesting things are the brown rocks. Well, the tower in the middle. Yeah. The bottom uh, of itself. Yeah. The tower's very great. Oh, the tower's very geometric, too. It's not interesting architecturally. Yeah, it, it, it feels mm. like either they had... They built this ridiculously fast, or it was, like, leftover from some earlier project of, like, almost a video. Yeah. I mean, I, I do like the general idea of it, and I... Yeah. I do like the look of that central tower. Yeah, it, it, it does not, look like an evil Illuminati Washington monument. Yeah. If they'd yes. done this at the end of the season or at the beginning of season two, it would probably look way better. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Although I was also surprised. Tigatron's walk animation while he's exploring for the first time looks really choppy. Hmm. Maybe they had to cut some other version of it that had a problem or something, and they had to rush on yeah. this one. Mm-hmm. It's possible. I mean, I guess we'll have to see how the second episode ends up looking. Hmm. That's yeah, that's another distinct possibility. It might be just one of those, we had no budget for the first half because we spent it all on the second half style of two-parter. Yeah. Or it could be we had the budget for one episode and we made it into two. I, I, this would be hard to fit in as a, as a, as a single episode. Yeah. You and could have shortened the first half of the episode significantly. That's yeah. true. I, yeah, I do yeah. like the mystery angle they went with, though, where we don't know what happened or what is going on with this cloud. And we still don't really know what the deal with this island is. Hmm. Although it quickly becomes apparent that it's not something like the floating Energon Mountain from Power Surge, and somebody built this thing. Yeah. The Illuminati built it. Yes. Apparently. Oh, damn and Black Rackius wants us to find that out before we just blindly send people in to try to kill Tigatron. Yes. So yeah. Crazy. Yeah. yeah Black Rackia and uh, Scorponok have been assigned to uh, check this thing out. They're pairing those two up again. Yeah. Well, that, except after... this, this time Megatron is not being subtle about how much he does not trust Black Rackia. Yeah, there's no. a great, there's that great bit where Black Rachnia is, you know, she's heading off, and then she notices Scorponok's not following her, so she sort of stops her floaty hoverboard thing and looks back, and Megatron and Scorponok are having the most suspicious-looking <laughs> little whisper conversation. Yeah, there's some good shots in that that segment. Megatron yeah. even tells yeah. Scorponok to stay behind. Yeah. yeah, yeah, like maybe text him next time, Megatron. <laughs> Oh, yeah, like well, that would require Scorponok to be able to read. Uh, that's true. Or yeah. hold a phone in his uh, hands. Yeah, well, he does scratch his butt before he has to talk to Megatron. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. Scorponok has been doing more of just clamping his claws while just standing there and thinking. And talking. Yeah, that's, he's, like, he's picking that day. up as a, a mannerism. Mm-hmm. It's pretty great. I mean, his mannerisms have been pretty wildly inconsistent. So, you know, if that's his thing now, clicking his claws, that's totally fine. Yeah, totally fine. Mm. Works for clamps from Futurama. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so Air Razor has uh, reported back to the Maximal, so she's going to uh, she's going to follow uh, Black Ranking and Scorponok. Because finally they have a flyer who can fly in beast mode. <laughs> yes. 
So he's not going to alert them with his super loud jetpack. Yeah. Or, you know, having to transform back because of Energon overload. Yes. So, yeah, uh, Tigertron is exploring this island, sees the uh, ever-popular Beast Wars metaphorical butterfly. <laughs> yes. Yep. Up again. I love how this one has quadrilateral wings. Yes. <laughs> it's a, it's an alien butterfly, I guess. Hmm. Yeah, this isn't Earth. Yeah, because this isn't Earth. Yeah, I mean, this is obviously not Earth. It's got, you know, Earth doesn't have a big hollow moon. Yeah. Yeah. So he's found his own paradise, free of the outside influence of the world. It's so beautiful to him, although badly rendered. It's his own veritable <laughs> golden lagoon. I'll try oh. to kill him if he ever shoots anything with it. Well, yeah. Or even if he just walks by the wrong rocks. Yeah, there was weird booby traps from like a booby trap with a, a bunch of super terrifying rock catapults. Yeah, that's... and bottomless pits. Literally yes, bottomless because it's a floating island. Yeah, the yes. bottomless pit could have been an accident, like the island slowly deteriorating. But those those big rock traps are rather obvious, and he wasn't doing anything really. Well, I figure the point of them is that the rock traps being obvious means that you have to be intelligent to avoid them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess it, it. Yeah, it's a basic video game thing. You have to get through this puzzle. Why is the puzzle there? It's a normal pathway. This is the well, whole. Maybe yeah, this is kind of like a CD-ROM game. Well, that's the thing, is maybe the puzzle is there to force you to prove your worthiness to get past it. Yeah, well, and also to properly shoot your guns. Yeah, Yeah. but you're proving your worthiness to be there by not setting off the traps and not engaging in wanton acts of violence. Mm. In the next episode, Tagatron is going to have to create a fake mustache using cat hair. And then draw a fake mustache onto his uh, ID. He may, he may also need to find the master of unlocking. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Black Rack and Scorponok, they've tracked down this cloud. She grappling hooks this cloud, which is impressive. <laughs> and Scorponok gets to use a cyber bee. Yay! Yeah. In my notes, it says cyber bee in all caps with three exclamation points. And if it hadn't been, and it, if you did them in pencil, they would also have little hearts drawn around them. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a very cyber bee. Cyber bee, too. Yeah. And the cyber That's bee cyber has. Cyber bee, like, now in color. Now, well, yeah, it has like 16 bit vision. Yeah, it looks like, like. It looks like a golden eye level. <laughs> yeah. It, it, is, yep. it is very interesting that the video it sends back is, is pretty much just perfectly good quality, but with 16 bit color. Yeah. I mean, his last one looked like convenience store video camera, so this is a, this is a step up. <laughs> yeah. He's upgraded. If he'd survived to season two, he'd be in, like, HD by then. Yeah. Gosh, Ooh, by season boy. three, it would be holograms. Well, we finally get the flyby with this, too. Yes. And and un- slightly less bad in a flyby. Yes. And unfortunately... Uh, well, unfortunately for the Cyber Bee, uh, Tigatron intercepts it, and unfortunately for Air Razor, uh, she totally gets shot out of the air by Scorponok. Cats are great at grabbing bees like that, or just oh, insects. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. So just and the first person view it. of it is amazing. It's yeah. the kind of jump scare that would go on to inspire the Paranormal Activity movies. Oh. <laughs> it was pretty great. Oh, yeah. And Scorponok's missile hitting Air Razor is that weird firework effect. Yep. I, I do like the bit with the falling feathers, though. Yes. Yeah, that was nice. Even though they're all the same feather. Oh, yes. Oh. 
Well, you make one they're, guy. They're, they're not some kind of bird scientists. They're animators. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that was sort of that. That was almost a genuinely worrisome moment. Except then you have to remember that she just got introduced, and CG models are expensive. Yeah, this isn't season three. Yeah, this isn't a season ender. Yeah. So, Scorponok then avoids being nuked by the uh, the George Wa- by the Washington Monument, and Black Ragnar decides that uh, you know she'd kind of like to have one of those. Yeah, Ooh. and this is very much her coming into her own as a character. There was some of that last episode. This is where we really see her as very much an aggressively ambitious character. Yes. Oh, yeah. Ambitious <laughs> and competent. Yes. Yeah, unlike Pterosaur or anybody else. Well, yes. Tarantulas is doing things in the background we don't know about mostly. Right. She's doing them more openly, but not as ridiculously open as Pterosaur, where everything falls apart for him. Yeah. And she's like, competent. Is just like cartoon Starscream. Yeah. yeah. Megatron can fall over and Pterosaur is like, I am the new Predacon leader! <laughs> Black Arachne, I noticed, is almost functioning as like the Predacon closest thing we have to a protagonist. They're willing to give her the point of view scenes that we usually don't get from the Predacons. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, you get it from Megatron once in a while. But I, I just know that yeah. we see that point of view scene for, uh, of the, the Megatron and Scorponok whispering. That's from her point of view. Yeah. Yes. So yeah, she is kind of a, a major player in this episode to the point where you do sort of see things presented from her point of view. So mm-hmm. that's, you know, like like you said, something we don't see a lot with Predacons. Maybe Terrorsaur in The Surge. Yeah. And really, so she is kind of, at this point, becoming the best female character Transformers has yet had. Well, which is yeah, not saying much. Yet but. had, and Will I mean, not have for decades. I've I've got a lot of strong feelings about G One RC, but I have to say, as written, she didn't really. You know, she was just an Autobot, and even in in G One, the Autobots were kind of occasionally they got a character trait, which was usually just a voice type. Yeah. Right. No, this guy's paranoid. This guy's vain. This guy sounds like Peter Lorre. <laughs> This guy said, what sticks can you do? Actually, that reminds me. Maurice LaMarche did a voice for G1, or how many voices yes. did he do for G1? Not I'm many. Surprised, uh-huh. I'm surprised we didn't get a character that was Orson Welles other than Unicron. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, surprisingly, he did not do Unicron when he appeared in Season 3. Aww. Uh, sad. Maybe what? they didn't realize that yet. Maybe they didn't really... Yeah, he must have still respected his shtick yet. I mean, he was... I mean, he was sort of starting out, I think he was only in one episode, where he plays one role. Yeah. yeah. And apparently he didn't... That was a bad episode, as I guess uh, Casey Kasem had just quit. Oh. 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 What episode was it? Uh, he, it was uh, uh, Thief in the Night. Okay. The one where... Uh, yeah. One where Trypticon is stealing stuff for uh, Abdul Fakadi. Oh. Yeah, that would be one. That that one actually led into the episode Star Screams Ghost, <laughs> which led into a Beast Wars episode we're going to be talking about. That's right. Spoilers. But yeah, that was a, a strange little 
unofficial two. I mean, it was clearly written as a two-parter, but it wasn't really presented as one. It was. It was. They might have aired out of order because they may have. Yeah. Well, even Beast Wars aired things out of order. But sort of like the Gambler and Child's Play in season two, it was one where you have a, a sort of strange, strangely uh, unexpected continuity between two of the yes. episodes. But but yeah, that would be an episode that Casey Kasem wouldn't have wanted to be involved with. I'm pretty sure he had left before that particular uh, entry into the Carbomia canon. So, Tyrion helps. Wiki, that was literally the episode that Casey Kasem walked out on, and also I the recording session went eight hours for everyone. Wow, I don't even think of that as being that great an episode. No, not really. It's, it's no. not a battle you want to win because it's. I not- mean, it, it was no ultimate weapon, which was the. Great no, the episode. ultimate weapon is great. Mm. So many subplots all over the place. <laughs> Okay, so uh, Tigatron uh, comes to the aid of the stricken Airazor, and uh, so, you know, get ready, shippers. Yay! Yay, the cannon ship sets sail. Do-do-do! Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he has sent that Cyberbee back to the Axelon, where it was luckily not shot by Cheetor, uh, because he missed. Primal <laughs> <laughs> so angry. So he looks so so disappointed in Cheetor for missing when when Rat Trap says that he missed. That that was very amusing. Yeah. Cheetor says that he didn't shoot it down because it had one of Eraser's feathers, and Rat Trap says, "Yeah, and because and you missed." And Primal just gives Cheetor this look like you what? <laughs> I thought it was more just, "Why are you trying to lie to us?" <laughs> that too. I'm not angry, Cheetor. I'm just disappointed. Yeah. Uh, Cheetor messes up again, but uh, it's inconsequential. Actually, no. time to reset the days since last Cheetor incident. <laughs> it has been a while. Yeah, it has. So he was really competent last episode. Well, he was serviceable. I mean, he took out Black Arachnia, which was pretty impressive. Yeah. And Tigatron has left this message talking about this crazy island. Yep. And how it. You know, it's got this massive weapon, and if either side uh, gets it, it's the end of the Beast Wars. His, his cinematography is very good. He's mostly just filming his nose and then panning the camera every once in a while. Like, look, there's no like Hard to work. His great big old tiger nose. It's pretty adorable. Yeah, I mean, he's got paws, and his camera is a robot bee. Well, he could have done it in robot mode. I don't know. reason why he didn't? No. I guess not. No, right. he can't go well, in robot it just looks he's, funnier in Tiger Mode. He's yes. not using his robot mode because he's he believes that it's more respectful to whatever's running this island yeah. to be in beast yeah. mode. Also, he's seen Red Trap Stash of found footage movies and knows how these sort of things are supposed to look. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, that too. And then we get our next time on Beast Wars trailer, which looks super exciting. Yeah, this is Oh, yeah, it looks awesome. Did, I'm surprised at how much they give away. Yeah, oh, did, yes. have a, did we have a next time on Beast Wars with the first episode? Yes, we did, because it showed the big battle at the end. Okay, but this this is like a really, really long, long one. There's they lots of screaming, lots of explosions, lots of things that happen in the next episode. Like people The next time on Beast Wars teasers are always really good. Yeah. Yeah, but it's it's. I didn't expect it to be as long or as spoily, but it's like wow. Yeah, I mean, it kind of gives away pretty much everything that's going to happen. 
That's pretty impressive. Yep. Screaming, explosions, power mad, black arachnia. And so that is the trigger. We're leaving you on a cliffhanger here, guys. Yeah. Uh, do we have any more thoughts on on this one, or are we going to save this for uh, the second episode? You know, I I think this is a, a good time to go ahead and and have that discussion that has been simmering in the background for several episodes now, which is again about Black Rachnia as a character and how she. It's probably one of the, she's probably the best female Transformers character that we got in a canon story until maybe Prime RC. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it, it may not be entirely coincidental that, especially this episode where she really comes out is written by Bob Forward. Bob Forward and Larry Titilio were both major writers on, on He-Man, but also more significantly on the She-Ra Princess of Power cartoon ah. back in the 80s. Oh. So they, between them, have certainly written enough female characters. And I'm looking at the, the IMDb page on them, and they are the only writers who did double-digit numbers of episodes on the original She-Ra series. Uh, Larry did 18, and Bob did 15. Wow, that's a lot of she and, and, and I know that uh, between the two of them, they talked a bit about development on that show when they were talking about, uh, you know, interacting with the, the Transformers fandom back in the day. And so they've written enough female characters that they, you know, they're, they're over female as a character trait. So, like I was saying before, it's very interesting that Black Arachnia as a design, her design is so sexualized when her as a character, I mean, you you could interpret her as coming off a little dominatrixy, but she's not really sexualized as a character at all. She's not someone who's showing off her legs to get guys to fall into traps or anything. No. Uh, there's only one character on the show that's really into her so far, and she does not seem to return his affection. Yeah. yeah. Which and is for the best. Yeah, because yeah, he's creepy. <laughs> oh, tarantulas. And so this is this is the episode where she really starts coming into her own as someone who has her own ambitions. You know, where Pterosaur was sort of the useless cartoon Starscream, she's a much more capable person and she's someone that I mean I don't recall any instance where Megatron specifically assigned someone else to go follow Terrorsaur around so he yeah. wouldn't get into trying to you know steal his power over the Predacons away and that you know eventually as the series progresses that becomes very much her having thoughts about whether being with the Predacons is even the best thing for her. There's a lot of development with her that we've still got to look forward to in the future. Uh, but, I mean, she... Unfortunately, Air Razor, again, is... Things will happen, and she's not a, a major player in the show for nearly as long as I would have liked. Uh, so she didn't get to be as as flushed out as Black Arachnia did. But Black Rachnia clearly was a, a darling of the writers, I think, because she gets so much development. She gets so much just complicated, complex 
emotional developments and plot developments. You know, she's got her own schemes going on. And yeah, I would say that she's really the most solid female Transformers character until at least Prime RC. And yeah. Well, yeah, because she becomes like arguably like the second or third most important character. Yeah. Behind Primal himself. I mean, she yeah. she really does become one of the most important characters in the series. Uh, she's gets involved with a lot of stuff. She's got the whole arc going on, the the whole sort of romantic subplot with her and Silverbolt, which is oh, fascinating. Oh yeah. Uh, I was actually. Uh, on on Twitter, I follow a few literary agents because, as as I've said, I've got a novel that I'm working on uh, finding a home for. And one of them was saying that that she really liked that whole Hades Persephone sort of uh, dynamic, but she wanted to see more <laughs> stories that had this this darker female character with the more light, heroic male character, because you mm-hmm. don't usually see it in that way. And I was like, <gasps> Silverbolt and Black Arachnia! And that's, that's precisely like, what that is. It, yeah. it is. It's very much that gender-inverted Hades and Persephone sort of dynamic. Yeah, and, and yeah, it's not something that you see gender-inverted very often. It's And it it's just... You know, if if you're gonna have a canon ship on the show, that's a little more interesting than Airazor and Tigatron. As much as I love Airazor and Tigatron, yeah. uh, there was just so much character development in that for both of them. And and really, if you're going to have a romantic subplot, there needs to be some. It it's so much better to have development come about because of it than just have some boring well of course they are relationship uh so so yeah that's and i i think this is something that we'll be seeing and discussing more as we go forward but this is the episode where she really starts showing showing us who she she's really supposed to be yeah because it wasn't like until last episode she sort of had a personality now we're running with the personality yeah. yeah, last episode was kind of the first time it was written for her instead of just, oh, we should use this new character instead of tarantulas. Yeah. So it wasn't just that she had, like, you know, devices she could use because maybe they had meant to put tarantulas there. This is the first one where she's really very solidly herself. And it's good. So good. Now, did we bring up the character design stuff in detail before have we been told? I don't think we've... I think... I believe we mentioned it's Inception. Yeah. Yeah. But hey, we're welcome to talk about that some more here. But yeah. How true is the whole thing about the expense of a trip to the strip club when they decided they were doing a female character? That, I I, I don't know, but I... How did it... Was that from Bob and Larry on ATT, maybe? I... I don't remember specifically. That may be... I, I wasn't there when that one was said, but that may be one of Larry's BotCon stories. He's a, he's a, he's a real raconteur. Yeah, at, yeah. Uh, at Larry. <laughs> does sound like like half a real story. Like I mean, he was he was so much fun. It was great. I mean, I've got this old picture of me and like 
eight, ten of my friends just hanging out with him in at BotCon 99, and he just had the best stories, but you did always have to sort of take them with a grain of salt because, again, like I said, <laughs> there was the the whole thing about how trans metals were going to have little Tamagotchis in them, and that's what the spark was going to be. It does seem plausible. It does. It, it does seem plausible. But, but yeah, so we, we kind of got the impression that sometimes his story's truth was sacrificed for a good story, which you really mm. can't, can't blame a writer for. Oh, no. Yeah, I can't blame a professional writer for embellishing the truth in the pursuit of a good story. <laughs> yeah. So I don't think we've gotten anything from any of the animators on that, on the veracity of that story. But you Have can the animators ever see. shown up at a botcon? We had some of the directors once or twice. Uh, not the actual character designers, but some of the actual directors. Yes, but no, we probably just a Bob story, but could be true. Yeah, it it might be true. At least you can certainly on truth. But. You can certainly see it. I mean, goodness knows, back in that day, online porn was not of the video the, quality and resolution that the, the plethora and abundance days. and freeness that it is today. That you was in the era of ASCII porn. Yes. Mm. Greg Land couldn't have the career that he does now as an artist back in those days. Because he wouldn't have had nearly as much high-quality porn to trace. He would have had to actually buy Playboys. Yeah, well, yeah, you video. He reuses poses often enough that I think he could have had that career because I think he's working from, like, a cabinet. (laughs) Yeah. Some well-worn VHS tapes. Sticky bookshelves and magazines and VHS tapes, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. But yeah, I mean, so it would have been enough if... of a comic artist that he probably does stuff on paper just so he can still sell his originals, right? Yes, <laughs> probably. <laughs> Greg Land. That's <laughs> <laughs> it, it, a different kind of podcast. But yes, fortunately, the writers did not take that that tack with her. All right, so I think uh, it's time for us to pull the trigger on the episode and uh, bid you to join us next time when we'll be covering the second part of The Trigger. <laughs> we cliffhanger. Yay! Yay! But until then, you can find us on uh, Tumblr at stasispod.tumblr.com. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at, at stasispod. And you can uh, write into the Maxa mailbag with your, uh, uh, with your theories, with your floating island anecdotes. Whatever. We like getting mail, so please write into the Max Mailbag at stasispodcast at gmail.com. Yes, please. And our RSS feed is hosted on iaconunderground.net. And if you prefer, you can also find us on iTunes and this is a new-ish edition. You can also find us on Facebook under Stasis Pod, the Beast Wars podcast. So, until next time, I'm Rob. I'm Jen. I'm Alex. And I'm David. See you next that time. Well.
he was a lot more interested in being known for that side of things than for being in this thing that was just sort of a job. Yeah. I have heard through the grapevine that can be kind of similar when it comes to appearances at conventions, that he doesn't really want to be there, but uh, yeah. the offer's too good for him not to. And he does Scott so many McNeil. voices that he might as well go. Scott McNeil really wants to be there. Oh, Scott McNeil <laughs> loves it. Uh, yeah. Some just love attention. Oh, you mean I can go, I can be flown out to these places I've never been before and treated like a rock star for two days and then disappear into anonymity again? Hell yes. So I can get money to fix a bike? Awesome. <laughs> can I have a new shirt without sleeves? <laughs> no, I, that's fine. If it costs more to get the no sleeve version, I can take the sleeve one and rip the sleeves off myself. Which was... Really, my only encounter with any voice actor—it's a new bandana still. At the Bakon I went to was it's like I was in the dealer room and Scott McNeil was like at a shirt stand. Is like, uh, do you have any shirts without sleeves? <laughs> I swear to God, that, that, probably a different wording, but that effect. Oh, uh, like oh, that sounds entirely believable. Yes. It's like, wait, who's that? Oh, that's Dinobot. Okay. Uh, uh, oh, yeah, I need food. Bye, guys. Bye. Okay.